Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Aaron Mankey, a graphic designer, a writer, and a podcaster. How's it going, Aaron? Hey, Brett. I'm going well. You? I, I it's I'm good. I had to go to. The, I was at the dentist for like two hours this morning. Ow. Yeah, I hate. I. I. It, the the whole thing's a conundrum because dentists are so unpleasant. Not the people, but going to the dentist is so unpleasant that you don't want to do it. Yeah. And the longer you don't do it, the worse it is. <laughs> and I'm not good at subjecting myself to pain. Right. There's there's something like like negative reinforcement for your fear. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, this is funny because I actually have on my plate uh, a client project, which is designing a t-shirt for a dentist office about all the anxieties about going to the dentist. Uh, I'm not making this up. Seriously, it it came in yesterday and it's on my plate to do today. That's funny. My uh, my dentist has a large plaque behind the counter that has a lion uh, cowering and it says we cater to cowards. Yeah. And they actually do. I I picked this dentist a long time ago because she is extremely gentle. She can do most fillings with no anesthetic. And so you leave with with no uh, no numb jaw or anything. Mm. And, And it's it's fine. Like she's really good, but it's still like having my teeth scraped is not top on my list of things to do. But anyway, yeah. Uh, among the many things you do in your projects pages, in in my opinion, it's a, a Herculean <laughs> task <laughs> being you. Uh, but one of the newer things you're working on is a podcast called Lore, and it is intriguing. It, a, it's really well produced, but it's it's kind of a fascinating take on podcasting. So tell me about that and where it came from. All right. So Lore is, it's basically a story-driven podcast, uh, you know, kind of in the, the vein of NPR type shows. Um, and it's the history, like the true facts behind scary legends, folklore, you know, mythology kind of stuff. So, um, you know, the, the, the reason I created it is really haphazard. You know, you kind of fall into some projects. They just happen um, unintended to be the end result. And uh, Laura was like that. What, what happened was um, I, I write novels in my spare, spare time. That's that's the, stir, <laughs> the spare time is, is you know, I've got a bit of it. And then the spare, spare time is tucked in the cracks there. So um, and they're supernatural based, you know, kind of thriller type things. And. I do a lot of research and bump into a lot of stories that I really like. And, you know, I save everything for later, stick it in Evernote and it's there. And I, I one of the things you learn about uh, publishing your own things is that you need to build a connection between yourself and your audience. So if people are buying my books, I want to be able to interact with them and say, hey, I've got, you know, here's the new cover art for the next novel. You know, what are your thoughts or whatever? And so I wanted people to sign up for my mailing list for my fiction. My mailing list was at about 65 people. I think it was pretty small. And I, I just felt this pressure to build the list. So what do you do? Well, you create a giveaway, right? You know, so I wrote this five favorite New England myths, uh, PDF. And each one of them was, you know, a couple thousand words long and walked people through my favorite stories in the background behind them. And then it occurred to me that if there's only 65 people on my list, the chances of hundreds and hundreds of people seeing this little PDF are very slim. So I got a little, I got a little discouraged. It could have been like the winter blues. It was March. I was feeling a little down and I thought, you know what? I want more people to experience these stories than just, you know, the five that will sign up on my newsletter sign up form. So I, I, you know, I thought maybe I'll just record them as audio, put them out there. People can enjoy them and, you know, free gift to all. 
and I recorded the first one. And then I thought, you know, maybe I could put some music under this. And so I laid a, you know, a background track and, and all of a sudden I had a podcast and within about two hours of that spark of maybe I should record this, it was, it was on its way to iTunes and all that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, Laura was like a last minute, unexplainable. A happy quirk. accident. It was so happy accident. Yeah. Because it's, it's gone really well. Did you, I, did you learn that term in art school? Happy accident? Um, did you go to art school? I didn't. I see. I did um, my my degrees in psychology, and I minored in art. Wow. Uh, yeah. Huh. Uh, but I use a lot of psychology in my design business. You know, like logo design is fifty percent psychology. I think. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but Branding yeah, I, in I general. Bumped into the phrase before the happy accident. So, yeah, they, they drilled that into us in 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 art school when I was doing graphic design. It was basically, you know, it's not a mistake. If it, if it becomes something, you know, if it evolves the project. Yeah. But okay. So when I listened to lore, the thing that struck me was the music and your voice are, it's a really well-produced combination and maybe that's an accident, but it's very enjoyable to listen to. And it combines this kind of storytelling with like history and analysis. And I Mm -hmm. find it, it's it's the most relaxing podcast I've heard. <laughs> well, you know, the analysis part was, was another one of those accidents where, you know, you, you talk about vampires for 15 minutes in the history and, you know, Vlad the Impaler and you get into American stories like Marcy Brown and Exeter, Rhode Island. And there's, there's all this fact and, you know, it's the minutia. But at the end of the day, like, why are these stories even here? And why do we have them? And there's whole fields of study, you know, comparative folklore uh, study. And I'm slowly picking up books on this uh, just because it's a fascinating topic. But, you know, just the idea that that when you examine a story, uh, a legend, a scary thing, that it's teaching us something about ourselves, too. Yeah. So vampires are, you know, they're a fun story. I like the Underworld movies. You know, it's it's good um, entertainment. But there's something about us at the at the core of that vampire story. You know, we're obsessed with immortality and we're obsessed with death right around the corner from us. And, you know, all these things are reflected in the stories we tell. And and what's happened is that's kind of popping up in every episode, whether it's, you know, vampires, which are, you know, classic horror mythology, or you get to something like an insane asylum. You know, there are still elements of the human, you know, anxiety and fear at the, at the core of the the asylum story too. Well, so. I think I mean if you boil them down, I was told once that much like there are really only 7 songs, <laughs> there are only 12 stories. Yeah. And like you can boil everything down to stories that originated with oral traditions that often, you know, eventually became <laughs> either biblical or Shakespearean in our modern culture. Yeah. But you can you can the basic storylines, they shift and they morph and characters change. But they're, you know, it's it uh, the oral tradition in general. These lores fascinate me because of the way they morph over time when they're mm-hmm. not written down. Every storyteller in every generation puts their own spin on it. And I almost yeah. feel like that has a beauty in its on its own without being subjected to, you know, literary confines. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's the difference between having some sort of a manicured like flower garden in the corner of your yard and just throwing wildflower seeds out and letting them let him go for five years. What happens? What, what What's the end result going to look like? 
How do you feel about wildflower lawns? Uh, we've got a strip of grass that's right between our driveway and our house that it's about a foot wide and nothing but weeds grow there. And my wife decided last year to throw wildflower seeds in there. And what, I, what I've learned is that wildflower seeds, once they grow, look a lot like weeds. <laughs> and uh, I, I want nothing more than to take a, a lawnmower just straight down that thing. I had so. a neighbor in the last neighborhood I lived in who did his entire lawn. He he was never yeah. home. He was always off having affairs anyway. So yeah. he uh, he just let it seed. And the neighbors, his immediate neighbors hated it. There were all these calls to like the neighborhood, whatever, commission. It was a right. nicer neighborhood. But uh, uh, he he never he never fixed that. And I personally, I appreciated it because I've never understood that having like golf course lawns. Yeah. I don't think you should have to have a machete to get to your front door. No, that's not fun. <laughs> no. But there's an in-between. Yeah. Wow. So I just, I, I tilted the conversation from oral tradition to wildflower lawns. I think you had a part in that. I, you know, I, that was partly my fault. I'll, I'll take blame. See, yeah. but I take allegories and then turn them into uh, conversation topics and then I'm just off the rails. Okay. So, okay. Traffic and profits aside entirely, where yeah. would you rank lore in your, your kind of life's work? The things that you've produced so far, how do you feel about lore in that collection? Uh, I'm still learning how to gauge that. I've done the freelance design stuff for, oh, I don't know, like eight years now. And, you know, the internet's been a good thing for that. There's a lot of content that I create simply because the internet exists, you know, podcast artwork and logos for blogs and things of that nature. Um, but over the years, the only feedback I get is from a client. You know, you wrap up a project, you send off the deliverables and you ask them for a, a testimonial and they, they send you back an email with a couple sentences that say nice things about you. And I like that, but I think everybody to some degree desires a little bit of praise, well, you know, sure. like, like some recognition and Hey, you're doing a great job. And you know, it, it helps you stay on the track that you're on or veer from the path you're on because it's not leading you in the right direction. Cause somehow that public forum can help guide you. You can also ignore it and make better decisions, but you know, <laughs> it's going to say <laughs> it's a toss up. Ultimately yeah. you get down to design by committee and yes. uh, based on my Twitter stream, uh, there are a lot of voices that I would filter yeah. <laughs> in taking yeah. feedback. I agree. But so the client yeah. relationship is more personal though. It is. I, clearly, I'm asking them to tell me what they've thought of working with me. But, you know, for the most part, it comes back very, very positive. The thing that I hear the most from clients is it was really easy to work with you. And so I've built a lot of my business off of, you know, I might not be, I'm, I'm clearly not going to be the best designer out there. There's, you know, they're 10 times my rate and they're amazing, but I'm, I'm going to be super easy to work with. You're going to have so much less stress on your plate when you work with me. That's, that's kind of how I put myself out to them. Now, Lore has has opened a door to a different kind of feedback. Um, I've had, I don't know how long I've been using Twitter on my phone. I guess since third-party apps hit the iPhone in 08. I mean, that's, it was, what, tweet, uh, Tweety? What was what was the one that uh, Lauren yeah, did? Yeah, it was Tweety, wasn't it? Was it Tweety? Man, I miss those <laughs> days. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I've had notifications for a lot of stupid stuff on Twitter on my phone for a long time. And if anybody follows me or favorites something, and I'm sure people with thousands and thousands of followers are thinking, what an idiot. Like, <laughs> you can never keep up with that. But I don't have a lot of followers. So 
uh, it's been all right. But since Laura went live, I've had to turn those notifications off because it's just, it's overwhelming. I love to go through and read it, but it's, it's, it's like this constant vibration in my pocket of telling me like somebody else favorited something, somebody else is following you. And I've never had this happen before. Um, I, I, it has helped me realize I hit something with lore. Like I struck a nerve or I, I provided something that's filling a hole out there. And I like that. You know, yeah. I, I feel like I've created something that, that is, you used, I think you used the word earlier about lasting value or something of that nature. And that's, that's where I feel I'm, like I'm at with Laura that I've, you know, I do client services with design and it's great. And I help clients out and I've got relationships with them. But, but Laura, even in just in two months has become this, this other thing. That's, that's just amazing. That's awesome. So, yeah. 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 You, you, you mentioned spare, spare time. And uh, and one, the thing that I know you first for is Frictionless and the, mm -hmm. the series of products that you created around Frictionless. I think I first heard of you uh, when I purchased the Frictionless index cards, the first version. And I still I still use them. I, I don't do a lot of pen and paper work these days, but that's mm -hmm. what I carry with me yeah. in a, a moleskin folder. Have you ever seen, it's, it looks like a moleskin notebook, but it's actually an accordion folder. No, that's cool. And they fit, your cards fit perfectly in it. And I, I prefer it to bound pages because I don't think in linear fashions. No, no um, the notes that you make are going to need to go somewhere exactly. like the next day or, or even that same day. So you got to move them around. Yeah. I used to, I used to, at the end of every day, this is back when I actually ran like a business and had to deal with clients, but <laughs> yeah. I would snap pictures at the end of the day and put them into Evernote and let it do the uh, handwriting recognition. Mm -hmm. But then somehow my handwriting got so bad that even Evernote couldn't figure out what I was saying. I can't <laughs> even read my notes half the time. Yeah. It's sad. I, I take notes in the shower and that's where I write the worst. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'll look at them the next day and have no idea what I was thinking. Usually context helps, but these are bad. Anyway, yeah. anyway, Frictionless, are you still creating new products for the Frictionless line? What I've been doing lately is um, expanding color options for the products. You know, so right now the cards that started out in red, I now have in blue and green as well. And uh, I've got pads of two different sizes, kind of like a half sheet and a full sheet. And those are in red, but I'm, I'm testing out the green right now. And uh, hopefully, you know, those, so the colors will expand. I don't know if I'll keep the largest, the, the letter size pad around. It doesn't, it doesn't sell much. And uh, eh, I, I, I use the half sheet. I, I use one of those, you know, our, our mutual friend Patrick Roan turned me on to Levenger's uh, Circa yeah. notebook system with the discs. And... Somebody, I, I picked up a, a punch somewhere, so I, I had a, a punch inexpensively, and so I get the I get their journal. That's it's like the junior size, you know. It's a half sheet, and I get these printed half sheet, just unbound in bulk, and I hole punch them and put them in, and that's that's what my daily list lives on. So, and so do yeah, you, quarterly. No, go ahead. You you uh, so do you do a lot of kind of productivity? Are you always building new systems, or do you have something all nailed down now? Yeah, what I do, I I feel like just works for me, and the the frictionless stuff is it's nice. The links float out there, and every now and then there's a rush, and people come in and buy, you know, stuff. I'll, I'll get five or six orders in a week, and then, you know, then it just kind of gets a little slower. I don't do anything to, to crank that wheel. It's just out there. Uh -huh. um, yeah, but it's easy to it. I guess true to form, it's pretty frictionless to run that side of the business too. An order comes in through Squarespace. Their their commerce side is pretty awesome. So I just print the label and, 
and uh, package it up and send it out. I don't have to think too much. That's good to know. E-commerce used to be such a horrible field. Oh, yeah. The available options were just horrendous. Squarespace does do a really good job of simplifying things. They do. Um, yeah, so I this month I time-boxed. I, it's, it's a word I hate, and it's something that I hate doing. Uh, but I tried to narrow my scope down to just three projects and spend a certain number of hours on them each week. Mm. And it's gone, I would rate it at uh, three out of five stars. I've, I've done all right with it, but I cannot work on something that I'm not in the mood to work on. Mm-hmm. Now, looking at your project list, do you are you able to say, okay, it's time to do some graphic design. It's time to make a podcast. It's time to write. Do you, Are you able to shift modes easily or do you kind of follow that whatever I feel like kind of path? Yeah, I like uh, my system is I keep all my to-do items in a, a syncing app of some kind. It used to be OmniFocus. It's now Todoist. Um, it's just a place to dump them, sort them by project. And, and by project, I don't mean client X, client B, client one. I, it's for me, it's home, uh, work and, uh, and lore is a new category on there just to keep it separate from the other work stuff. And what I do is I sit down at, at the end of the day, you know, nine thirty or something. And, and I plan out my next day on my notepad, uh, hour by hour. What am I going to do? You know, here are the items that I said I, I have to do tomorrow. And so I just map them out and then when I sit down at my desk, I just kind of go down the list, uh, you know, yeah, notch so by notch. That answers my question. You you yeah. can focus on what needs to be done. Yeah. Now, you've got to give yourself flexibility. You know, there's there's moments of inspiration or there are hiccups in, you know, scheduling plans or whatever. And so you roll with it and you, you adjust. Um, See, my problem but, is yeah. that my moments of inspiration tend to lead to like 48 hours of... <laughs> doing one thing that isn't yeah. what needs to be done. Yeah. I'm horrible yeah. at that. Yeah, it's hard. You seem to get it done though. How let's well, see you have like you have like four novels now? Yeah. Um five if you count the fantasy novel that I wrote first and then took out of the store months and months ago. Which it one's just, that? Um it was called The Hand of Andelaine. It's not in Amazon anymore. Huh. I it, I just my writing, not that I'm Stephen King by any means, but um, my writing improved a lot in the time between that novel and the next one I wrote. And it just wasn't representative of me. I, I felt like if somebody bought one of my newer novels and then went back and bought that, that they would get a real bad picture of uh, my writing style and, and quality. And it, and I'm more in that supernatural thriller horror uh, genre now. And like my third book in that genre is coming out next month. Um, so, so I it just felt like maybe it was time to close the chapter ha, 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 on, <laughs> uh, on on the fantasy stuff. And maybe I'll come back to it. Maybe I won't. But uh, it, I don't think that book needs to be out there. For aspiring writers, what, if you had to kind of narrow down, what what improved the most in the process of writing that you would say is something that you should focus on as a new writer? Um, efficiency. You know, like, how, can you... With how few words can you say the thing you need to say? Ah, yes. You know, it's the difference between Stephen King, who I absolutely love, um, and Neil Gaiman. 
who I absolutely love. <laughs> yes. Neil Gaiman can say in six words what Stephen King takes a uh, paragraph, a, a, yeah, a, yeah or, or a couple chapters sometimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it's fantastic. I love the, the detail and the connection that King helps you make with the story. But Gaiman somehow gets all of his message across with it's it's ninja like it's a you know? graphic novel approach it is well maybe that's why he's so good at it yeah yeah no i i totally i see that uh that comparison very starkly it's uh i'm a big fan of concise i'm most of my writing is technical mm-hmm. and the one thing i learned from every editor i've ever worked with is don't use you know 10 words when you can use three yeah, it's so I enjoy that process that uh, it's it's like sculpting or working in charcoal where you just you throw all the ideas down mm-hmm. and then just shave them and just, you know, like just cut out all the extra. That's my favorite part of writing. Yeah, I like to I like to just kind of barf the <laughs> the ideas out and then mold them. Right. Yeah. I mean, King says in his book on writing, which is I mean, if you're an aspiring author, pick up Stephen King's on writing. It's fantastic. He says in his book that your second draft should be about 10% smaller than your first. You know, the goal is to refine it. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine how big his first drafts are then. Oh, no. (laughs) What what he puts out is mammoth. I read it when I was, I think it must have been 10. Oh, my gosh. 11. I, I, I started reading extremely early and by second grade, I was sneaking novels in and reading them under my desk. And yeah. And yeah. And it was, it was kind of my introduction to horror and I loved it. I, Mm -hmm. his storytelling style was something that I could, I could just get lost in, but then I, I tried other horror Mm-hmm. And it it wasn't the same for me because it didn't have that really kind of warm, uh, rich character tapestry. Right. It was more about being scary than it was about like getting into the lives of these these kids. Yeah. See, that's that's the problem with the perception of Stephen King's people. They'll pigeonhole him and say he's a horror writer. You know, you'll have people who grew up in the church will be told, you know, you can't read <laughs> Stephen King. It's you know he's scary horror stuff. He, you know, whatever. But that's not that. That's just the the realm he's picked to put his words. He's he's what he likes to do is represent life as realistically as possible, and sometimes that means long, long descriptions of you know why a person feels a certain way or whatever. And then the end result is that the reader is deeply connected. Yeah. And when you make a connection like that, scary things become really scary. Yes. So he's in a good genre for that. So, but, but you know, like um, I highly recommend his book Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. I've which never is, even heard of that one. Oh my gosh, it's it's a massive uh, hardcover. I did it on audiobook, and it was it was tremendously done well. Um, but it's it's the story of it's 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 like a hint of sci-fi with the question of you know if time travel were possible, could you go back and stop the Kennedy assassination? And it's I, I would say it's King not writing horror, but just writing fiction. It's just it's just great fiction. That sounds um, good. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. I've just gotten back into reading lately. Just yeah. just dipping my feet. Uh just ordered a new book. Did you know you can buy paperbacks on Amazon for one penny plus three dollars shipping? Oh, that's crazy. It the, is I don't like, know. Buying how, the used stuff? Yeah. I don't know how, how anyone could make a profit doing that. I think they just want to get the inventory out of their other <laughs> other warehouse. It seems that way. Yeah. Um but okay, so I have to ask because this leads into my next question. 
Did you grow up in a religious environment that uh, kind of uh, denounced certain things off the cuff? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, I remember. I remember being very strictly pushed away from Stephen King. Like it was a rebellious thing for me in my senior year to buy the stand. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't even think well, I've never read the whole book. I think I read a few chapters and then I don't know. I mean, the stand is it's it's longer than. It's like a mile wide when you print it in paperback. It's, Didn't they have to make the miniseries like three parts, like three two-hour parts? Uh, it's, I, and I don't even see how that, that could capture it all. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to do an experiment. I, so I have the stand on Kindle, and I have it on Audible, which, which are tied together. They've got that, Amazon's got that whisper sync, like the audio, audio sync. So if, you, if you're reading on the Kindle device and you stop at the end of Chapter 2... When you pick up the audiobook the next day, it'll start you on chapter three. Oh, I wish. My problem with audiobooks is I fall asleep. Mm, really? And and I wish that there was some sleep <laughs> detector, like it would detect <laughs> idle time or something and right. just pause. And then like, I haven't found a good system for switching devices yet. I'm sure there are. And Amazon probably uh, probably be great. I should get a Kindle. Yeah, I, I picked up a, an actual Kindle hardware device at Christmas time. I took yeah. a bunch of gift, gift cards and, and bought a, like a Paperwhite, I think. And I like it. It's nice. It's not, I don't feel like I'm being blinded when I'm reading at night in bed. Yeah, I don't, I don't like the iPad for night reading. I no. like it for reading. I like mm-hmm. the, uh, the interface and being able to highlight and bookmark and all of this. But a mm-hmm. dedicated device with more pleasant night viewing would be good for me. Yeah. In yeah, fact, I'm not that. allowed to read on my iPad at night anymore, according to my own new rules, because of the blue light and the fact that I I lose sleep even after I stop reading. And yeah. 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 So anyway, yeah. So I grew up in the same kind of restrictive uh, religious environment. And for me, it was music. My rebellion was I would just listen to the worst things I could find. And, <laughs> and I had I regularly had CDs confiscated and t-shirts burned and uh bile uh there's a band out of new york called bile that i used to go see and their t-shirts always got me in trouble because i would (laughs) i would i would forget and i would put them in the laundry and then my mom would my mom would pull out this shirt that uh the techno horror album that was it was (laughs) pornographic and disturbing but um anyway i i that (laughs) that rebellion that leads to lifelong loves is is yeah. rather intriguing and for you it was horror and i what uh what is it about horror that really like grabs you and makes you feel warm and happy or is it that you don't like feeling warm and happy well so the funny thing is like somebody the other day was recommending a horror movie to me and i i told them I, i'm probably not gonna watch it my wife can't stand horror movies so if i'm gonna watch it it'll be by myself and while I seem to be pretty good at telling scary stories to people, I don't like experiencing them on my own. So yeah, it, it's, it's tricky. Now, reading is different. Um, I, I, you know, I think that we, it, I realize that society's changed a lot since you and I were in high school, but um, I, I think that we're so busy and we're so distracted all the time that we almost don't feel, you know? Some some days I feel like I get down from my office and I, I step into the room with my family and somebody's flipped the switch and all my emotions get turned back on. 
And it's, it's it can be overwhelming because you, you, you disconnect, you jump into the, the raging river and you try to keep up all day long. And uh, I, I just think that all that distraction and lack of focus uh, numbs us a little bit. So things like reading, I mean, that, maybe that's why Game of Thrones is just so huge right now because it's, it's, it's big escape for people, you yeah. know? It's, it's another world where their problems don't exist and they can just tune out. So, yeah. Yeah. I get all that. I, uh, I've gotten more emotional as I've gotten older. Yeah. Well, and, and I use no drugs these days, which, <laughs> which helps you feel emotion. Right. Um, but yeah, like commercials will make me cry now and, and like not sob, but I'll get teared up and I'll have to like, yeah, brush my eyes when no one's looking. Yeah, it's I'll embarrassing. Tell you, don't sit down with your wife and watch any episodes of Call the Midwife. <laughs> it's it's over. Like I don't know what they do with that production, but there's something that gets in my eye every single time I see an episode. <laughs> okay, so back to horror though. Yeah, <laughs> let's. I, I would love to talk horror movies with you. Was there at any point in history a time when you felt like horror movies were something you would want to see? Yeah, I, I, and I think that was probably more in college. I'm trying to remember when the first Scream movie came out. That was that was like mid '90s, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. I think '94. Yeah, maybe '92. It was. Yeah, it was early '90s. I, uh, I think it was around there because I, I think horror was seeing a little bit of a renaissance at that point. Yeah. Well, to- okay. We talked about this on the last Overtired. Scream was a turning point. Yeah. Scream set the mold for mm-hmm. like horror moving forward until these movies like Saw. Yeah. And the human, whatever, caterpillar, not centipede, the human centipede kind of things, <laughs> where it's just, you know, it's about torture and, and horrible, horrible takes on humanity itself, not about monsters and ghosts. And mm-hmm. I mean, look for me, looking back the days of Poltergeist and the Omen and Children of the Corn, that stuff was fun. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. And zombie movies all through my life. I have always... Because you can kind of step back and laugh, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you can be like gripping your chair and scared. But I have no interest. Uh, the Ring was the last horror movie I saw that I enjoyed, that I actually got lost in. Mm-hmm. After that, I, I feel like horror has changed. I think it has. I think it's gone I, too far is, is uh, you know, it's my opinion, but I, I, I feel like it's, it's too sadistic. Yeah, it's dipped too far into the shock value yes. thing instead of good writing that sets up clever plot twists. And, yeah, you know, you know, one of the things that I and you wouldn't think of it as horror, but one of the things that I've, I, it's just one of my favorite episodes of a TV show of all time was Home on X Files. You remember this one? Yeah, where with the um, the family living in the farmhouse yep. and the incest and, and everything the that went on monstrous there. Monstrous yeah. deformities and, and the, the rack under the bed. Yeah. yeah what, they would get in the car and like this beautiful 1950s music would turn on and <laughs> they would go beat somebody's head in with a baseball bat yeah. because of whatever, while this beautiful music was playing. It was just, that, that's a pivotal episode for me in, in realizing like, things like this can be entertaining and fun and at the same time really make you think and, you know, shiver a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think X-Files did a really good job with that kind of, um, horror. It's, 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 I don't know. It's more about bizarreness than it is about screaming horror. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, it was, it was weird. I like, uh, Tarantino's early work. 
mm-hmm. had that same kind of contrast between like the uh in Reservoir Dogs, the the stuck in the middle scene with the ear removal. Yeah, yeah. That it had that same kind of just contrast of like music that makes you feel good and happy and then horrible things happening at the same time. Right. It's uh yeah, I think uh who uh well, Four Rooms, isn't that another one of his movies yes. with the finger getting cut off? Yeah. Yeah. Four I enjoyed Four Rooms. I like that. I'm too. thinking all the way back to like Apocalypse Now too. Yeah. Uh, well, Four Rooms doesn't one of the scenes deals with the dead prostitute in the box spring, right? Under yeah. the mattress, which is uh, as I've been digging into lore and you know because I have to figure out new topics and topics have to have uh, you know a good backlog of material. I can't just tell one story or whatever. And I've bumped into that story. Like it has actually happened multiple times. Um, most frequently in Florida for some reason. I don't know why, but they found a lot of dead hookers and mattresses in Florida. Uh, do you want to know why? Um, no. Because Florida it, is crazy. Is it? Oh, yes. I'm crazy. sorry to every listener we have in Florida, but your state is just, <laughs> it is, it's, I, I'm not going to make any uh, off-color analogies, but every time I go to Florida, I, I am scared. Yeah. I just assumed, except for Miami, some... which I don't think is really part of Florida, but it's crazy it's... in its own way. So yeah, yeah. It didn't it secede? I think it seceded. Miami or Florida. or sunk? I don't remember. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this episode of Systematic has been brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. For years, the mattress industry has forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing the savings directly on to the consumer. Casper makes an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price, especially for a mattress made in America. Casper mattresses offer just the right sink and just the right bounce thanks to two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, they come together for better nights and brighter days. Compared to the industry average of well over $1,500, Casper mattresses range from only $500 for a twin to $950 for a king size. If you're still nervous about the idea of buying your mattress online, Casper has a completely risk-free trial and return policy. Try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. You can get $50 towards any Casper mattress by visiting casper.com systematic and using the promo code SYSTEMATIC. Terms and conditions apply. This episode of SYSTEMATIC is also brought to you by Nerd Usefully and The Shuttle. It's my own product that I made just for you. If you've ever lost an Apple remote, the little silver ones that just tend to slide under paper or between couch cushions, this is a handcrafted oak holder for the Apple remote that can sit vertically on a table or lay on the arm of a chair and never get lost. I've been using mine in prototype for months and I've not lost my Apple remote once compared to a couple times a day prior to it. It's gorgeous, it's sleek, and it's made with love. You can get a discount at the Etsy shop when you use the code LOSTMYREMOTE. The shop is at etsy.com shop slash nerdusefully. So thanks to me and the shuttle for this episode of Systematic. We have come to our top picks. I yeah. feel like we, we have thoroughly covered quite a few areas here. So I'm curious, we'll go back and forth round robin. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. curious what your first pick is. These are complete surprises to me. All right. And and by pure providence, this matches up really nicely as a segue. So my first pick is a book. I just finished it. It's called The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey. I'll send you the link. Cool. 
and it is you can't say too much about it without giving away some of the stuff but it's essentially a post-apocalyptic spin on the zombie story um i like with, it already. with with a with a child as the main character nice and and it's unbelievable it's i think it's already been optioned to be a film um I think I think my friend Dave said that like Susan Sarandon is going to be one of the characters and um, Dr. Caldwell who you you would meet as you read this. I did the audiobook as I do with a lot of stuff. I run um, with audiobooks. That's I don't do music. I, I do audiobooks, so I devour a lot of books this way. Does that work for you? Does that help the yeah. time pass? And it keeps my mind off of the fact that I want my legs to be cut <laughs> off. <laughs> so I can I can understand that. I do that when I drive. Uh, if it's a long drive. It's yeah. going to be an audiobook, not oh, yeah. a playlist, because playlists make you very aware of how much mm-hmm. time has passed. Yeah. Audiobooks make you completely forget it. Yeah. So this so, yeah. Uh, so girl my, with all the pick. gifts, is it uh, when you say post-apocalyptic, do you mean like Boy and His Dog, Mad Max, or kind of a dystopian after? And yeah, kind it's of more thing? the latter. It's, you know, I would say it's 2000 and. 30 maybe even maybe even closer to our time than that you know maybe within the next 10 years uh outside of london and and in just the kind of the some of the the small towns north of london and then heading down towards brighton fun yeah Yeah, it's very very cool i that sounds definitely like something i could get into yeah all right well my picks are not at all literary which i really should have reconsidered (laughs) um but the the only book that I can say I've completely finished and thoroughly enjoyed was The Ocean at the End of the Lane, Neil Gaiman, uh, yes. um, in the last like, decade. Uh, <laughs> but that was very recent, and it has sparked me to go on reading. Um, what was the one I just ordered? Um, it was the guy, Haver, uh, Fool, um, Amazon orders, looking at my history, because yeah, maybe this yeah. should be a... Um, my account, your orders. What did I just get? You think it's called Fool? No, that I, I read half of Fool. Uh, it's the same author, and I wasn't loving Fool, but I was told that I had to try this one instead. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's called A Dirty Job by Chuck... It's not Palagin. It's not Chuck Wendig, is it? No, it's Christopher Moore. Oh, Okay. And it's kind of it's kind of horror uh, comedy, <laughs> commodore, right? It's a good it's a good juxtaposition. <laughs> it's called a good job. No, a dirty job. A dirty job. A dirty job. A novel by Mike Rowe. <laughs> what? <laughs> what happened to that guy? I mean, he, he still like does voiceover work all the time. I love his voice. Yeah, I do too, and I I loved his show. And then he just started. I, I only ever saw him in commercials, and I don't know what yeah. happened to him. Same with the guy from Animal Planet, uh, Jeff Corwin. Yeah, I loved that guy, and I think he's still doing some like cable stuff. But right, you don't see him any- anyway. My first yeah. pick is actually Meister Task. Uh, I may have I may have mentioned this before. I've lost the ability to easily track my my past picks but um meister task recently was released by the people who make mind meister which is if you need a collaborative mind map that you can turn into presentations and share ideas and comments mind meister is absolutely my favorite and then meister task is their new offering that's uh it's a lot like trello the kind of kanban board Mm -hmm. approach uh but it's prettier and uh the notifications are uh, better to me and they have a mobile app to go with it now 
and uh, for I'm using it in small groups, uh, rarely more than three people. So I haven't tested it with a large work group, but in my opinion, Kanban boards don't work in groups over 10 people anyway. So, um, yeah, I would say that it has worked splendidly for my smaller projects. I like this. I mean, I use Trello for just managing the overall scope of what I have on my plate. Um, and this looks, some of it looks really similar and then some of it looks, uh, good, a good different. Yeah. Yeah. It adds, it adds a few more, uh, refined touches. It doesn't currently it's coming, but it doesn't have the API that Trello has. Mm. And I've done a lot of work with, uh, (laughs) I did for a client, I did one that converts, um, YAML header files into, uh, uh, Trello boards. So you can, you can basically port like just plain text and then maintain it and have a two way sync with a Trello board for everyone who doesn't <laughs> write in, oh, uh, awesome. in YAML. So yeah. Anyway, I, put, I do put recommend that on the that list one. of obscure jobs you'll get hired to do. I, those are my favorites. Yeah. I owe, I owe a friend one who's a, she's a professor and she gave me a really fun scripting assignment to normalize and file uh submitted papers mm-hmm. and i haven't done it yet because it's kind of it's it's been an overwhelming project but it's exactly the kind of thing i love to do yeah. i still need to get that finished so here's what i've learned about myself on those things where you've got something new and big and you stall forever mm-hmm. what i've learned is after stalling for weeks and weeks it always occurs to me that if i just had more direction I could get off the ground. So ask like, questions. Like, like I'm maybe, maybe I'm missing some pieces that are, it's keeping me subconsciously from wanting to step forward with it. Yeah. And that mm. makes perfect sense because I found that the trick when I'm stalled like that is to fire off an email with mm-hmm. questions. And yeah. maybe I didn't even realize I had questions at the time. Right. But the process of doing that clarifies in my head what needs to be done. And then the responses and the feedback Mm-hmm. actually give me the motivation to, oh, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> that works for me. Yeah. All right. So what's your number two? Number two. Uh, so I'm going into the world of podcasts here. Um, there's a podcast called Criminal. That okay. is one of my all-time favorites right now. And uh, it is, I'll, I'll say it was when I heard Criminal, I said to myself, you know, I would love to do something of this style. And while lore isn't exactly like Criminal, uh, it has that same production um, focus. And so Criminal is a, is a podcast. It's on the Radiotopia network <clears throat> um, where 99% Invisible and The Illusionist and shows yeah, like that okay. are at. Um, the Illusionist is also, it's also another great one. A-L-L. Um, it's all about words. If you like language, yeah, The Illusionist is great. Helen uh, Saltzman. Um, but Criminal is like the stories of crimes, people who have them committed against them or, or people who have committed them. And they're short, you know, like lore episodes, maybe 20 minutes long and very, very laser focused on what they're talking about. But so, so good. Uh, is that um, like an interview? Um, it's it, for them, like their show, it's a mix. You know, like I could never get an interview into my show stylistically. Right. But they'll they'll, you know. They'll kind of walk you. Have you you've heard ninety nine percent invisible, right? I have. Yeah, I've heard one or two so, episodes. You know, there's you know there's narration and talking, and then yeah. you might hear sound clips from somebody being t- uh, interviewed. And there's there's bits of that there. Nice, but uh, it, highly recommended. It's it's a great like if you just want a quick twenty minute story being told to you. See the thing with serial 
which made podcasting so huge over the last few months is that it was people wanted story and they got story, but it was unresolved. It was unresolved every single episode. And then at the end of the series, it was unresolved. So what I wanted was I wanted story that resolved, you know, a, a compact episode that when I was done with it, I felt like I had. You know, it was like a mini, it was like That's a short story funny. or a mini book. So yeah, so Criminal really fits that that need for me. I had that exact debate about two days ago with someone because they said what you just said. And mm-hmm. I said, the reason that I watched the entire Lost series twice is because every episode leaves you just baffled. And I, yeah. I, I like movies that as soon as the climax passes, they just fade to black and it's over and you're left wondering what just happened right those are my favorite endings those make me jump up and down and clap uh <laughs> when they don't tie up all the all the loose ends so that that appeals to me i actually prefer it to mm-hmm. having the conclusion but i i think it's probably about 50 50 yeah as far as people who prefer a to in 20 minutes to get a start and a story and an end yeah I don't know what it's tied to, if it's like type A, type B personalities, or if it's some other characteristic. But yeah, some people some people like the untidiness of that. Yeah, I'm an untidy, masochistic person, so <laughs> it works out. The illusionist sounds really interesting to me, though I, I absolutely love language. Yeah. And, and I have a brother-in-law who is a punster, and it's it's a blast. I, I love all kind uh, all of it, everything. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll confess. So, um, so Helen Zaltzman, who created the illusionist, um, I've gotten to know recently, um, I get fan mail and it's, it's weird. I, I I didn't think I'd get fan mail, but I get fan mail. So people will obviously they'll like tweet. Oh, I just discovered Lore Podcast because I've got a Lore Podcast account on Twitter. Yeah. I just discovered this and, uh, that's the best thing ever. And I'll, you know, I'll favorite the tweet and I'll, I'll thank them and stuff. And, uh, I, but I get email in my inbox. People will send me emails. I get a couple a day. And one of them shows up last week. And this person starts off by saying, hey, I absolutely love your show. Um, my name is Helen Zaltzman. I host a show called The Illusionist. Oh, nice. I don't know if you've heard of it. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I had been <laughs> listening to her for a few weeks. And it's great. She's got a British accent. So it just adds that, that, little, <laughs> that extra richness to it. Um, but she picks, like, a, a term or a concept that she explores through the episode, like the idea of viral, um, the word viral and, and its implications. And she did one on underwear and uh, the, the idea that, you know, why is, why is the word panties plural? And she explored <laughs> how, like, when they were very first created, it was a piece of cloth that went around each thigh. It was two pieces of cloth that were tied together at the waist. And that was how it was in the Victorian era. And then, you know, she finishes that up by mentioning, so that means that Queen, uh, Queen Victoria wore crotchless panties. Like that was, huh. that was the end result of that entomology. And it's just a fascinating show. Very, very fun. Yeah, so. that's, there was a show on uh, NPR for a while. And I don't remember what it was called. It's probably still there. But my radio listening time is dwindled. Yeah. But, but yeah, it was all about words. And mm-hmm. I, it was one of my favorites. Um, what I had another question related to this, but I've lost it, so I will move on. It'll pop up. It or will not. Yeah, it, you never know with me. Yeah, you're messy and masochistic. Like it could just vanish. It, yeah, and a lot of things do. 
Uh, that's why I have a notepad in the shower now. Um, oh, what is it about the shower though? Because seriously, my wife and I have both come to the the agreement that the shower is where all the good thoughts happen. It didn't used to be for me because no. I was in the habit of uh, cold showers and never more than five minutes long. Mm-hmm. And people always told me that that was ridiculous and masochistic. And so I tried hot showers and found myself in the shower for 10 to 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and that and then the ideas did start happening there's something about uh, water warmth uh, sound yeah steam i don't know something does it definitely stimulates Mm -hmm. parts of my brain that are not normally focused but anyway however it works it works and you're hacking it by keeping a notepad in the shower yes which is awesome yeah i'm sure you got one of those like waterproof ones on yeah, Amazon. yeah i got the one that merlin recommended it to me uh aqua notes a while ago okay and uh i talked to the guy who made them yeah we did we we we, we wanted him as a sponsor because <laughs> we've been good for his business but uh yeah. but it's a small operation and he he wasn't uh not budgeted for podcast advertising but yeah I will continue to promote Aquanotes. They have been great. Um, so my second pick you might like. It's a new app that's in beta for Mac. It's called Icon Jar. Okay. And okay, so I, I assume you have a collection of stock icons, ones you didn't make but that you use for reference or for web projects or whatever. You mean like um, like a collection of vector? Yeah. You know, vector or even yeah. like PNGs at you know three different sizes and yeah, yeah, I've got a ton of those. Right. So, have you ever found a good app for just browsing, other no. than Preview Mode and Finder? No, no, that's exactly how I do it. Yeah. Well, and I've tried a ton of apps. There's been like there's Sparkbox and uh, I've even I've forgotten the last one that I thought was close, but it wasn't quite. Icon Jar is nothing but. Um, you, you, you categorize them by importing folders. So, you know, you have your folder of, mm-hmm. uh, this specific set of icons, you just drag it in there and it creates a set using that. And then it has tagging, but it doesn't currently have tag filtering. So that's kind of, a mm, pointless at this point, but mm-hmm. a, aside from the sidebar with your sets, it's nothing but a browser and you can view everything aggregated or you can view one set and it gives you the icon view that you would get in finder and Mm. lets you quickly page through them and then get to the file and it is so simple but it's fast and effective and i it's it's what i've been looking for yeah and it looks like you can view your collections inside illustrator through it Really? I didn't, yeah, I didn't notice says, that. Yeah, it says works with your favorite apps, Photoshop, Sketch, and Illustrator. So I'm wondering if maybe it's like a panel in Illustrator that you See, can See, I assumed up. when I read that, I assumed that it could just read the preview files for oh, like an EPS or a sketch file. But I haven't I haven't dug that part out yet. So that you're probably right. I might be jumping to conclusions. I just I, want everything to live inside the apps I use. So <laughs> I think <laughs> I well, yeah. Sketch is amazing when it comes to the plugins and things. I've I actually don't currently have a copy of Illustrator anymore. I've moved wow. everything into Sketch, and then I use vector tools in Photoshop for EPS work and whatnot. I'm just afraid to move over to it. I I work fast in Illustrator, and that's where I feel comfortable. Um, but yeah. all the all the cool kids talk about sketch. I have never I've never been good at Illustrator. I have studied it. I am trained mm-hmm. in it, but I just the the vector work in Illustrator has never 
sunk in for me the way that sketch did almost immediately. Hmm. And sketch isn't perfect. Sketch is yeah not as refined as Illustrator is at this point. But I do I like it a lot. And I like the export capabilities. Uh, for a web designer, it's great. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what's your third pick? My third pick is small and insignificant. It's a thing. Um, it, have you heard of this thing called the Pelican Clip? No. Um, CoolMaterial.com, I think, is the link. Let me pull it up here. It's a piece of stainless steel that's cut. It kind of looks like a pelican in profile. Uh, and you put it on your key ring. And instead of stuffing your keys in your pocket or getting some big bulky clip, that you've got this thing that you can just kind of slip over the belt loop of your your jeans and what's it called again pelican pelican clip oh that makes sense i'm gonna look it uh, up so we're on the same page here i bumped into it through a friend who mentioned it and i i think i asked for it for christmas as like a stocking stuffer or something and it's been great you know i i don't have to i don't have the bulk of keys in my front pocket anymore they just i clip them somewhere near the back and then tuck them into my back pocket but nice. I know that they're not going to fall out because they're clipped, and it's you know it's a little thing, but yeah. uh, it's it's been fun. I, I I don't. I used to work um uh, in the plumbing department, and uh, at the college that I went to art school at, mm-hmm. and we would carry around key rings that were basically just waterfalls, and I always thought that you could tell how important someone was by the size of their key ring, <laughs> and now I have zero keys. I. I don't tell anyone, but I usually forget to lock my home. And when I do, I use the garage door opener as an entry point. And I don't, I don't even know where the key to my house is. And I, I have, I have a car key, I guess. Yeah. But I have no key ring. Uh, and, and I don't necessarily miss that. My wallet is now a small piece of fabric that holds three cards and no paper money. Right. I haven't had change in my pocket for as long as I can remember. So yeah, I, I can see if I had more than one key, mm-hmm. this would be extremely convenient. Actually, even for the one key I have, it might actually make it easier to access. Yeah. I use it as a bottle opener. It's not meant or designed for that, but if you get the right leverage, you can crack open a bottle of beer with it too. Can you open a bottle with a dollar bill? No. You I can? can. Yeah. Okay, you just you fold it until you just keep folding it until it's hard. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's the leverage thing. You just you hook it under the edge of the bottle cap and you raise your index finger up tight against it, mm-hmm. and then just apply pressure and it'll open. Wow, I like yeah. that. I can open a bottle with anything. Yeah, except for my mouth. I've never. I, I have oh, bad no. teeth. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't want. You're your dentist. You don't want to go back there. I mean. Yeah. Right. That's crazy. I uh, well, I busted half my front right tooth. Like in the very front and size oh. or whatever that is, mm-hmm. um, I busted it off on a microphone in high school, and so it's half fake. And my entire life, if I do any, if I bite my nails, mm-hmm. there's a good chance I will break my tooth. So it's I have to be very the careful. position of where it's at and the leverage mm-hmm. that that fracture yeah. point. Yeah. Yep. Um, have you ever seen the Gerber artifact? No. That is, it's my favorite tool. I'll, I'll add a link to it, but it's um, it's a little like shard in fact there's another version of it the artifact has a a little exacto blade that folds into it like a number 10 exacto but um oh nice this looks good yeah it's it's super handy because it has a crowbar uh it's very small it's like three inches 
and it has a, a miniature crowbar, two size flathead screwdrivers, a Phillips, and a bottle opener slash can opener. <laughs> and then the artifact has the the blade. And it's TSA approved. It's you know it's sturdy and it's the only tool I carry because unlike a pocket knife, I have everything I need to open a package or cut something without unfolding it. Yeah. But it's not so sharp that it like rips through my pants or anything. It's very convenient. Nice. I can Wish pull those... it out with my left hand, one-handed, and open a package while I'm and holding open. it. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, small. Wait, what? Small and insignificant. I got the pelican clip part. What is small and insignificant? Oh, is that? I thought you were saying the name of something. Oh no, I just I, you were I mean describing that, the pelican. You know, clip. it's not a novel. It's not a, a <laughs> podcast. It's it's just this. Thing for my keys but it's fun small and insignificant yeah. is one of my favorite categories i mean look like you i work from home i don't get out much so i interact with very few objects other than computers all day and one of them is picking up my keys to walk to the car so very understandable <laughs> that that was what came to mind i greatly appreciate those little things i in fact i've i ordered a wallet called the ridge because for some reason despite uh really only having like three cards and nothing else i enjoy like seeing how small a wallet I can find. Mm-hmm. And the Ridge was a little bit of a disappointment to me, but I do, when I find those really well-made, I the Crab wallet, have you, I think it's called the Crab. I've ordered three of them now. It was a Kickstarter project and it's just fabric with a band that you can actually attach it to like an iPhone. Oh, wow. Uh, if you were inclined to, but it also mm-hmm. works just fine. I'll, I'll link that one too. But yeah, those little, those little tools that you, don't spend a lot of money on, but they serve an everyday purpose and they become part of your life. I love those. Yeah, for sure. All right. So my last pick is the recent, recently released Launch Bar 4.6. And I'm, I've been a Launch Bar user from the beginning and like long before Alfred existed. And, and mm-hmm. I'm so in Launch Bar is so ingrained in my muscle memory that Alfred never had a chance for me. It's a great app. Love it. But Launch Bar is, is mine. Um, and 4.6 adds an action editor. Uh, in in LaunchBar 4, they added an API for creating actions and, and using JavaScript and any scripting language to do way more powerful things than the old AppleScript-based version would. Mm-hmm. And 4.6 adds an action editor that makes it really easy to build custom actions with just a little bit of script knowledge. Um, so I thought I would highlight it once again. Because that action editor is, it kind of brings it back up to where Alfred jumped when it added the workflow editor. Mm-hmm. Are you a fan of these launchers? Yeah, you sound I, only mildly interested. I still use Spotlight, <laughs> but but yeah. I get the actionable stuff. You know, I use um, Keyboard Maestro for yeah. You know, some things that you know you, the things that bother you on your computer, you try to fix. Yeah. You know, like a, a web page won't load in Safari, so I want to copy the URL and open it in Chrome. So I've got a hotkey that does that. I should mention um, there. Uh, my my friend David Halter slash Elastic Threads has a little tool called Other Browser, and ah. it recently updated to run entirely in the background. And it takes um, URLs, uh, like it has a URL handler, so you can create a bookmarklet in Chrome and Safari, and when you click it, it opens it in the Other Browser. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, I'll link that one too. It's pretty cool. I've been using it a lot. I used to use Choosy, which Ooh, was never heard of that. it it re- replaced your default browser settings. So you would mm-hmm. instead of Safari or Chrome or Firefox, you would choose Choosy, 
and Choosy would allow you to create rules based on what type of link, what uh, domain it was from, where it was clicked from, and open a browser specifically based on those rules. Or it would pop up a little hover showing all your available browsers and letting you pick where to open a link. Mm. And that was awesome. It's undeveloped, and I'm not sure it works anymore. And there were a couple others that came and went. I don't know of another good solution right now, though. Sounds like you have it figured out, though. Well, I just, I've gotten used to what works. <clears throat> it helps that I haven't actually upgraded to Yosemite yet. So I'm just, like, I have to use the tools that I have while all these cool new things come out. That's a very graphic designer thing to say. Yeah. Working yeah. within a grid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, but my constraints make me more creative. Is that is that the yes. cliche thing I'm supposed to say? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So uh, you are on Twitter as A Mankey, A M A H N K E. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's the Lore Podcast account? Lore Podcast. That's, that's what I wrote down as a guess. Yeah. At Lore Podcast. And, right. and I've actually, I just, because see, they're stories and I've learned that people really love the visuals from them. And so I tried posting some pictures to the Lore Podcast Facebook page that I, this is the first time I've ever used Facebook for something like this. I, like I've started a page for my fiction self and all that, but, but it's actually getting traction on Facebook, I think, because People like to build community around story. I don't know. I, I, I'll work on my theories about it. But anyway, last night I started an Instagram account, and it's also Lore Podcast. Like everything I do is just Lore Podcast, whatever the username is. And the website and it, is lorepodcast.com. Yeah. yeah. And the and the images are people really connect with them. There's nothing like seeing Dr. Walter Freeman performing a lobotomy with an ice pick that that just you know warms your heart. I I I understand what you're saying, and that makes me scared of myself. Yeah. You, Walter, you know who this guy was? No. Okay. Well, I, I guess, I mean, I assume that was what like the, uh, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of stuff was based on. Yeah. I mean, this guy basically took, he got tired of cutting people's heads open to do lobotomies. And go and, through the eyeball. Yeah. I found out about a guy in, in Italy who was doing surgical procedures through the, the eye, eye socket. And yeah. he thought, why can't I do that? So um, he literally took the ice pick from his ice box in his kitchen and used that. Yeah, it's 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 frightening, but yeah. in the end, a uh, frontal lobotomy is probably just as effective either way. Yeah, yeah basically, <laughs> it's all scrambled eggs. <laughs> it fixes depression. Um, well, except for the people that killed themselves afterwards, but that's another story. <laughs> it is. D d is there a lore about the lobotomy, like the fifties? It was just done a lot. I mean, this guy, he was legendary in the field. He, no, I mean, uh, is there a podcast? Did you do an episode? Oh, oh, oh yeah. you used lore in the capital L sense. I thought you were using it in the small L sense. Uh, yeah, episode <laughs> six. Awesome. I'll check that see, one out. I live just a few miles from the site of what once was called Danvers State Hospital. Um, I live in Lovecraft country, if that means anything. I live yeah. in, like, H.P. Lovecraft mm -hmm. wrote about a fictional realm north of Boston, and it's where I live. And so Danvers is... Um, Arkham. That's the name of the city that he created in Arkham Sanitarium yeah. was modeled after Danvers State Hospital. Uh, and so when they were creating the DC Universe and Batman and all that, Arkham Asylum in Arkham Prison is named after Lovecraft's thing, which was named after this hospital near me. So safe to say you live in a fictional world? Yeah, pretty much. I, nothing here is real. <laughs> all right. <laughs> let's see. Is there anywhere else? Uh, let's see. We should say uh, there's AaronMankey.com. I have too many websites, man. Do, do you have this problem? I, I don't. I keep it pretty trim. 
Yeah, I need to find a way to do that. Although I suppose every one of my apps and projects has gotten a domain name over the years. But yeah, yeah. But if you go to lorepodcast.com, it's got you can connect with my airmakey.com page and all the Twitters and follows and stuff. I made a Facebook page for my dog, and it's way more popular than I am on Facebook. <laughs> That's awesome. You have amazing dogs. <laughs> Thanks. I love seeing the pictures of them. Did you see the new one? The, the one you posted a couple of days yesterday? Serious Black? No, I didn't see that. Uh, well, He's the big black German Shepherd. Oh, is that what you called him? Yeah. Well, nice. I just saw the picture of them. I did. Like all the animals on your furniture in the living room. Yeah. Like, no seat left for a human. Yep. Yep, that was that's life. I got up for two minutes, and that was what I came back to. Yeah. All right, and I am Brett Terpstra. I'm at brettterpstra.com, and I'm TT Scoff everywhere, um, any service. So, thank you for being here, Aaron. Hey, thanks for having me. This was fun. This, yeah, I actually, this was a great conversation. I'm, yeah. I'm glad we did it. Me too. All right, and uh, check the show notes to find all the links, and we'll see everybody in a week. <laughs>